up the series on Lord, I Need a Miracle. And here's what I want you to do uh, for the next few minutes. For the next few minutes, what I want you to do is uh, there at your table, share a little bit of what you have learned through this series. So just share a little bit. Okay, here's some things that stand out to me. Here's some things that God has taught me. Now, maybe you haven't been here for the whole series or you haven't. This is your first day. That's fine. Then you can listen to others. And if there's nothing you've learned, then at least share a prayer request that you have for this week. So let's talk a little bit about what God has taught us through this series. All right, sounds good, and uh, I hope that you can articulate, share a little bit about what you have learned. I want to do in this lesson, uh, I learned a tremendous amount uh, from just seeing Jesus in His glory, and it really moved me and has really helped me in seeing uh, Jesus in a bigger and more glorious way of who He really is. And so much so that I, I started writing down, well, here's some of the things that I've gained from this. And so this lesson is kind of just an overview of what uh, I think God and what John would want us to learn from John chapter 1 through 12 that we've been through. If you look at your notes, uh, I gave you a, a, just a small chart on an over, overview of the book of John. Because basically what we've done is you can divide the book of John, as you look at that chart, into two parts. Chapters 1 through 12, chapters 13 through 21. And you can sum up the book of John in two words, signs and glory. Signs and glory. And we have studied in this, the seven signs that we have studied are in this section of chapters 1 through 12. So basically, we moved through chapters 1 through 12. And the second part is called, Jesus says, the hour of my glory. The hour of my glory. And of course, that's the cross and the resurrection. And so, that's kind of the overview of the book of John. Chapters 1 through 12, as you see, focus on the three and a half years of public ministry of Jesus in Galilee and Judea, where he performed these seven signs, and where he explained their significance. And he said, the significance is to show my glory, but the greatest revelation of his glory points to the uh, death, burial, and resurrection. I think it's interesting. A section of signs ends with what sign? What sign plays in chapter 11? What's the seventh sign? Yeah, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And of course, this section ends with with whose resurrection? Jesus' resurrection. And so, in a sense, chapters 1 through 12 sets us up to really see the glory of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Now, there's a lot more I can uh, uh, take you through, but if you notice, the big idea of the book of John, I really think can be uh, summed up in this phrase that we've used uh, throughout the series, if, if you would ask me, what's the book of John about? It's about this. B believe in miracles, chapter 1 12. Believe in but trust in Jesus as the Son of God. The miracles reveal that Jesus is the Son of God, the glorious Son of God. And so believe in, believe in them for the reason they were done, so that you would trust in Jesus 
the Son of God. And in fact, turn your Bibles, John 20, the purpose statement of this gospel is given to us in John chapter 20, verses uh, 30 through 31. And it kind of, you can divide up the whole book with this phrase. Notice what it says. It says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. So, that's way back here. This is chapter 20. So, He's not just talking about these seven. And look, this whole book, everything that Jesus did, there's so much more that could be written. But these signs, these miracles were recorded for this reason, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ Son of God, the purpose of 1 through 12. Look at these signs and understand who this is. He's not a prophet. He's not just a teacher. He's not just a human being. He's fully man, but he's fully God. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But notice, he goes on to say, and that believing you may have life in his name. And that life comes through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So his whole purpose for writing this gospel account is so that we would grow in our knowledge and faith in who Jesus really is. And that's what I've what happened has happened in my life is I've grown in my knowledge and my faith in who Jesus is. And I kind of want to help us get three lessons. So here's what I want to do today. What are the three, what, what is the significance of this whole series that we've been through? And I think John and the Holy Spirit, I hope, has taught us three lessons. And so these are the three lessons that I want to give you today, and then we'll wrap this series up. And the first lesson is this. John is sticking. He's sticking to his purpose for writing. Believe in miracles, but trust in Jesus. And as we've gone through, these seven signs, we've encountered three types of people. So these are the three types of people we've seen over and over in chapters 1 through 12. And here they are. The first type of person we've seen is faithful followers. Faithful followers who have saving faith in Jesus as their sovereign Savior. Faithful followers who have saving faith in Jesus as their sovereign Savior. Now, who exemplifies these faithful followers the most? Who? Yeah, exactly. The the twelve disciples. But actually not twelve. How many disciples? Eleven of the twelve. Okay, so we've encountered the guys that we've really seen get this, and the people that responded properly to the signs are the eleven of the twelve disciples. In fact, one of the signs was just for the twelve disciples. Which sign was that? Do you remember which one? Which sign was performed? No one else knew about it but the twelve disciples. Walking on water, exactly, okay? And I think it's also interesting that in the first sign, the turning water into wine, says the disciples believed in Him. So throughout this we see, if you really want to know, if you really want to understand how to respond to who Jesus is and, to, and how to respond to these signs, if you want to see saving faith in action, you want to look at the 
12 disciples, particularly the 11, that proved to be truly born again. It also includes many men and women who truly and believed in, uh, truly believed and followed as a result of these signs. So, for instance, the raising of Lazarus. Who are the true faithful followers with saving faith in that miracle? Can you name them off? Three siblings. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Again, yes, they have saving faith. They're faithful followers. They need to grow in their faith, but they're truly born again. The women who first witnessed the resurrection of Jesus prove in this, in this gospel to be born again. So we've seen men. We've seen women. Uh, we also saw fair, we also see in this gospel Pharisees like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, a Jewish leader. These kind of, these guys, kind of are secret disciples. And it's not until the death, burial, and the resurrection that these guys go public with their faith. When did Nicodemus in John 3 come to Jesus? What time of day? Nighttime. Why? Why? Okay. Pretty, you know, why? Because he didn't want anybody to know about it. He's sneaking in a little Bible study undercover, right? But finally, true believers go public with their faith. True believers go public, and they identify with their crucified Lord, and they profess faith in His resurrection. Also, uh, some of the people that had miracles performed for them, who were some of the faithful followers? Uh, think about the nobleman whose son was at the point of death. Sign number two. Remember him in John 4? He not only believed in Jesus that he performed the miracle, but when he found out and, and realized Jesus performed the miracle from a distance, the moment he said it, he believed and his whole household believed. And so we know that they believed for salvation. Uh, who else? Who else had a miracle performed on them? who uh, proved to be a true uh, follower, a faithful follower. Can you think of who else? Yes, the blind man. That's why he's number six, because he's there at, at the end, and, and he really shows true. He not only uh, received a miracle and believed for a miracle, but he worshipped the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and and after sign number seven, the Lazarus, it says many who saw Lazarus restored to life. Here's my point. These faithful followers have saving faith. They believe in miracles, but they also trusted in Jesus as their sovereign Savior. They are more than mere fans of Jesus. They are actually followers who are willing to do what He wants, when He wants it done, and the way that He wants it done. They follow Him. They're not sinless. They're not perfect. You know, Peter was one of them, okay? You and I, hopefully, are one of them. We're not sinless. We're not perfect. But we're faithful to follow Christ in community. And these guys are the nucleus of the church that's going to be born in the book of Acts. And so, faithful followers not only follow Jesus, but they follow Jesus as a part of His church. Now, the second group of people that we saw, I'm going to call fickle fans. Fickle fans. They're not faithful followers. They're fickle fans, and i got to be careful saying that, with only sign faith. And their sign faith is in what is sensational and sensual. They, they like what is spectacular. Wow, miracles. I'm in. How many are in for miracles? Right? 
How many are in for crucifixion? Oh, okay. How, how, how many are in for, for walking on water? Sounds like fun. Skiing without a boat. Sounds good, right? I'm all over that. How about obeying me? Oh, okay. And then the sensual. Hey, I love the miracles that fill my tummy. Always like that. Love the miracles that enable me to physically do what I couldn't do before. It's sensual. It's I'm into Jesus for what he does for me right now and what he does for me in this life. Oh, you mean there's a life to come? Well, that can come later, okay? I'm into it for what is sensational and sensual. Now, who best characterizes the fickle fans? Well, sad to tell you, the majority of people. The crowds, the multitudes. As we go through this gospel, hey, Sign faith is prevalent. I mean, you know, sign faith is prevalent. Which sign really brought out the multitude of fickle fans? And and not only brought them out, but then drove them away. Which sign was that? Do you remember? Feeding of the 5,000. Okay, that, that just encompasses fickle fans. Why did they like the miracle of turning, applying uh, bread? It's just obvious. What, what were they? Hungry. What does bread do? Satisfy my tummy, right? They were hungry. And so what did they do? Fickle fans, they chased Jesus. I mean, they like have a marathon around Galilee. You know, I mean, they're just like, where is he? You know, it's like the amazing race. Where is Jesus? You know, find Waldo. Let's go. Wherever Jesus is, we want to be there. Why? Because he might feed us. He might give us some food. He might do what we want him to do. But what happens when the healings and the handouts ended? What happens to fickle fans? They disappear. They disappear. They bug out and they no longer follow Jesus. And let me tell you, fickle fans always do. That's what, that's how you know. Someone's a faithful follower versus a fickle fan. When things get tough, when Jesus doesn't come through the way they want him to, the way I want him to, the way you want him to, they bug out on Jesus or they bug out on his disciples. It would seem that the layman, the lame man who was made to walk in sign three was a fickle fan as were many who saw Lazarus restored. Remember the lame guy? Um, Jesus heals him, and the Pharisees say, hey, who did this for you? He goes, I don't know. And then when he finds out who really did it for him, what does the lame man do to Jesus? He what? He rats him out. He throws him under the bus. He reports him to the Pharisees. And what, in, in this gospel, what do the Pharisees always want to do to Jesus? Kill him. So anytime somebody's reporting Jesus to the Pharisees, this is not meant for good. Okay? So fickle fans are those that only want the miracle. They don't want the Messiah. They want the sign, but not the sign giver. Fickle fans with sign faith only see Jesus as a miracle worker that meets their needs and a go-to person for what they want, when they want it, and the way they want it. If you don't serve me, then I'm out of here. And of course, Judas initially 
would be called a fickle fan, but he actually lands in this third category. So the third category of people who saw these signs is not only the faithful followers, the fickle fans, but number three, fierce foes. Fierce foes of Jesus. And they have no faith in either the signs or the sovereign Savior. Now, who best characterizes this group? Yeah, the Pharisees and the Jewish leaders, okay? The Pharisees and the Jewish leaders. And here's what, here's what I'm saying about no faith, even in the signs. What's amazing about those that have no faith in Jesus and are his foes, his enemies, is that these guys knew these, these miracles were being performed, but they're like, they, like, take the blind man, for example. You know, they want to know, and the lame man, both the lame man and the blind man. They know this guy used to be an invalid, now he's walking. They know this guy used to be blind, now he can see. You would think they'd be interested in that, but what are they interested in? They don't deny the miracle took place. They know the miracle, but they don't care about the miracle. What do they care about? They care about who did the miracle, but is it in order to believe in this person? No, what is it? In order to... To persecute, kill, and destroy. They are more concerned about Sabbath breaking than miracle performing. It's really tragic. These are the people that knew the Bible the best. They've been taught faithfully. They've been taught. They claimed they believed in the Messiah. They claimed they were looking for the Messiah. But in reality, when the miracles pointed to the Messiah... They didn't deny the miracles. They just said, we want to destroy the guy that is doing this. And the reason being is, we want to protect our turf. And we know that if he's Messiah, then he's the top dog, and we like being the uh, top dog. Now, these, fic these fierce foes are not only just Jewish leaders. You know, the Pharisees always get beat up. You know, and the reason we like the Pharisees is because we can always think, I'm not one. I'm not as bad as them, as those guys. But the reality is, these fierce foes are also people who ran to the Pharisees and, quote, tattled on Jesus, knowing it would make them look good in the eyes of the religious leaders, but would mean trouble and even death for Jesus. Now, the poster boy for the fierce foes that have no faith ends up being Jesus. And you, uh, Jesus, ah, heresy, uh, Judas, it ends up being Judas. Now, here's what's amazing about Judas, okay? Good, I was going to see if you were paying attention. Uh, if you just wrote that down and went on, I'd be concerned for you. Now, we're looking at Judas, because here's the amazing thing about Judas. When you meet Judas, which category do you think he's in? Faithful follower. And then you realize that, no, wait a minute, he might be a fickle fan because he's not sticking with him, and ultimately he becomes and reveals himself to be a fierce foe that has no faith because here's this friend and follower who ends up betraying his master with a kiss. Now, what I want you to do is realize a couple things about, the, about this last category. Sign faith often becomes no faith, when Jesus doesn't do what we want. Sign faith often becomes no, no faith when Jesus doesn't do what we want. Because here's the reality. Those, many of those 
who rejoiced in Jesus when he rose Lazarus from the dead in chapter 12, end up in chapter 18 to cry out, crucify him, crucify him. They, they, they shouted Hosanna, and then all they're yelling, crucify him. And then understand this. As we've gone through these three categories, no faith is never neutral. Listen, to say I don't believe in Jesus is not neutral. You're either his follower or you're his enemy. It's really that simple. In fact, in this gospel, Jesus says there's only two families, the family of God and the family of the devil. And we're all born into the devil's family when we are born. And if we're not born again, we cannot enter into God's family. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want to take you through these seven signs so that you can see these faith responses as people. So this is kind of a review, and you can see that this is all having saving faith, sign faith, or no faith at all. So let's look at sign number one. The disappointed disciples who have no more joy in life because wine runs out at the wedding but they end up believing with a saving faith. Listen to John chapter 2, verse 11. In the be- this beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. There's His disciples believed in him. So that's sign number one. No, they're more than fickle fans of miracles. They are faithful followers who believe in the Son of God. Sign number two, the desperate royal official who sees no more possibility for life in his son goes from sign faith to saving faith. I think this is tremendous because this really sets a a, a standard in this book. He goes from being a fan, hey, you're going to heal my son, to him and his family becoming what? Followers who believe on more than miracles, they trust in Jesus for salvation. reason I think this is so significant is when we studied this in John chapter 4, the, the, the nobleman believes Jesus two times. The first time, he believes for the miracle. The second time, he believes in Him as his Savior. Sign number three we saw. The disabled man who had no more ability... Uh, to move about in life, appears to have only sign faith. But the more I thought about this, this man may have had no faith at all. He may have had no faith at all because it's never recorded that he believed at all. It's never recorded. When you go to John chapter 5, and when we studied this, who initiated that miracle? Did he initiate it or did Jesus? Jesus initiated it. And here's what Jesus says in John chapter 5. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And immediately, no mention of faith by this man, immediately the man became well and picked up his pallet and began to walk. I, I suspect that this man didn't even believe in Jesus for the miracle. So how did the miracle take place? Well, the way every miracle takes place. Miracles aren't triggered by our faith. They're triggered by what? God's grace. God took, Jesus took the initiative and said, here's a guy that can't walk. I'm going to enable him to walk, and he doesn't even have to exercise faith in me. I'm just giving him this gift. Now, how does the guy respond to the gift? 
he throws Jesus under the bus and he reports him to the Pharisees. Sounds like no faith. That's why Jesus, out of anyone else that we studied in these seven signs, what did Jesus do? Jesus graciously found the man later and what did he say to him? Stop sinning or something worse than being a physical invalid is going to happen to you. Stop being unbelieving or you will land and be separated forever in hell. Have faith in me. That's what he's telling him because this man apparently had no faith. Sign number four is the feeding of the uh, the 5,000, the dissatisfied crowds who have no more provision for life. The bread has run out. The healings have ended. They're fickle fans who are persistent in their pursuit of sign faith. We'll go anywhere for a miracle, but when Jesus doesn't have any miracles, we're done following, chasing after you. And the Jewish leaders are represented in this chapter as having no faith, who are fierce foes, determined to kill him. Even so-called disciples choose to stop following when the handouts and the healings come to an end. And so as we go through this book, as we've gone through this book, not everybody that, that seems to have faith has faith. Are you getting that? And not everybody that is a disciple and who follows Jesus is really a disciple, as evidenced by they no longer follow. Disciple means follower. If you're not following, are you a disciple? No. Believing means believing. And if you're not believing, then you're not a believer anymore. Um, Jesus, in this, what's interesting about this sign that we studied in John 6, Jesus knows, now listen, this is important. Jesus knows who are his faithful followers with saving faith. And he knows who are merely fickle fans with mere sign faith. He knows even Judas has no faith and will betray him as a fierce foe. Here's the thing. And this is something that's very important because our flesh likes to fake people out. We like to fake people out. We, we tend towards phoniness. And here's the reality. Jesus is never fooled or faked out. Jesus knows what's going on in our hearts. Jesus knows. who. So here's the thing. It doesn't really matter what I claim to be. It doesn't matter what you think I am. What matters is what Jesus knows about who I am. We need to do business with Jesus. We need to make sure our faith is real in His eyes. We need to make sure that our following meets His expectations. Not the expectations of myself or the people around me or, or you know, whatever. My political party. I mean, this political thing is amazing. How people are exalting politicians and political parties and political positions above the gospel. Listen, we're Christ followers before we're Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Socialists, or any other thing under the sun. Amen? Amen. And we need to make sure that we are faithfully following His word. So, enough of that on the politics. Now, here's the deal. Jesus says, let let me just, well, uh, we'll move on. Sign number five. Sign number five. 
Sign number five is walking on water. The distressed disciples who have no more stability in life, the storm is raging, Jesus is nowhere to be found, are strengthened in their saving faith to be faithful followers even when the handouts end and the storm still rages. I taught this when we went through the miracle. I truly believe the walking on water was meant to prepare them for the mass exodus of the of the fickle fans. Because nothing shakes our faith. Nothing our faith as a follower is when everybody's moving that direction, but Jesus is still moving that direction. And we have a tendency to put our fingers up in the air and check which way the wind is blowing. And he's like, hey, listen, even when the storm rages, even when the healings end, even when the handouts are done, and yes, even when the fickle fans are fleeing, I'm here. I'm in control. Invite me into your boat, and I'll get you to where you need to be. It's beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. John 6.20, But he said to them, It is I. I am. I am. Hey, in this political mess, you know what Jesus is saying to his people? I am. When the storm is raging in your personal life, Jesus is saying, I am. Do not be afraid. So they were willing to receive him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Sign number six, the healing uh, uh, sight to the blind. The darkness of the blind man who was who has no more insight in life, sees the light with a saving faith that's willing to risk it all to worship and faithfully follow Jesus. What happened to the blind man? He was kicked out of the... Jerry? He was kicked out of the synagogue. Jerry remembers what he taught. That's always a good sign. He was kicked out of the synagogue. And his family, his parents, basically threw him under the bus. He lost his family. Listen, folks. Listen, you're not going to follow Jesus faithfully and always bring your family with you. You're not always going to be able to do that. His parents said, look, we're sticking with the synagogue. We're sticking with the Jewish leaders. And this man said, all I know is I once was blind, but now I see I'm going with Jesus. I'm going with Jesus. Wow. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Wow. Powerful stuff. No, sign number seven, the death of Lazarus, who has no more life at all. He's restored to life, and the saving faith of him and his sisters is strengthened to faithfully follow Jesus, who himself is about to be crucified. Again, what's important about their faith? I think it's interesting. Listen, I think it's interesting on these two signs that were specifically to strengthen the faith of true believers, both involved death of loved ones they both involved or the threat of death when when jesus came to these guys were afraid they were going to be drowned and jesus said hey i've got this here the death of one and jesus strengthening their faith to say you know what lazarus dying shook you a little bit wait till you see me being crucified wait till you see me your master being crucified i'm So that you won't forsake and quit believing when I'm crucified. Now, here's what I want you to gain. One thing I want you to gain from all this, and it's in your notes. 
In each case of these seven miracles, the minor thing is the miracle. In each case, the minor thing is the miracle. And the main thing is what? Jesus. The main thing is always Jesus. I don't know about you, but as, as we've studied these miracles, I think it's amazing. John doesn't go into detail about how the miracle occurs. He doesn't even really, you know, he doesn't go into detail started wiggling and then this leg wiggling and then he did a jig and and then he was stretching and his legs were great or he doesn't talk about the blind man and he says oh this is the first thing i saw and he doesn't go into them the miracle is the minor thing the main thing is the glory of jesus who can perform these miracles so that's the first lesson John's sticking with his purpose. Believe in miracles, but trust in Jesus with saving faith. But second lesson I want you to see is John is sharing life-giving lessons on saving faith. John is sharing life-giving lessons on saving faith. After I taught, I think it was after um, the fifth miracle, I went home. And that afternoon, I just got a piece of paper out. And I'm like, wow. God is teaching us some really profound things about saving faith. And here's eight observations. Here's eight life-giving lessons on saving faith. So as we've gone through these miracles, if you don't learn these lessons, then you've missed Number one, sign faith falls short of saving faith. Sign faith falls short of saving faith, but it can grow into saving faith. And that's good news. Amen? Remember when all you thought about Jesus, the reason you loved Jesus was because of what He could do for you? You know, that's okay. But it falls short of saving faith. Okay? You nurture that. You nurture that. Nurture that in your kids. Here's what Jesus can do for you. But nurture in them a saving faith. And of course, the nobleman's faith grew from sign faith to saving faith. Uh, the lame man who had no faith fell short of saving faith. The blind man, though, grows from sign faith to saving faith and worships the Son of God. So listen, believing in Jesus, what he for, it falls short of saving faith. We need to believe in Jesus because of who he is, because of the death, burial, and the resurrection, because he's the risen Savior. Number two, second lesson. Saving faith is a sovereign gift of God's grace but it still requires coming to Jesus by faith. Saving faith is a sovereign gift of God's grace, but it still requires coming to Jesus by faith. And the two miracles that really hit on this is the feeding of the 5,000. In John chapter 6, there are some amazing statements of Jesus. Uh, listen to some of them. Listen to this. And listen for how Salvation is a gift of God that He gives freely, and yet you still have to receive it. Listen to John six twenty nine. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. God works in us, believe in Him. Listen to John six thirty five or John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Who comes to the Father? Whoever the Father gives to the Son. Okay? 
Uh, verse 39, this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, that's God's sovereignty, I will lose nothing, that's security, but will raise it up the last day. John chapter 6, 43, Jesus answered them and said, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's God's sovereignty in salvation. We don't come to God because we want We come to God because he draws us to himself. And I will raise him up on the last day. Security. Listen, if you diminish God's sovereignty in your salvation, you've just diminished your security in your salvation. If your salvation is because of what you do, there's no, there's no security in that because you, can always, you always will fail. I will always fail. But if your salvation is dependent on God's sovereign grace, then you're secure because no one's more powerful than God. Um, listen to John 6, uh, John 6, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. I've offered the gospel and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Uh, the teaching on the blind man, I could go on. The, the, in John chapter 10, there's tremendous points here that, uh, well, let me, let, me, let me say, let me read John 10, 26. But you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give the eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. You see this repeated process. Salvation is a gift of God's sovereign grace. And that's our security. That's our security. You say, well, what's our part in it? We receive the gift that he offers. We hear the gospel and we place our faith in it. Number three, third lesson. Saving faith should grow into stronger faith. I think this is a huge lesson. So many times we see faith as a one-time decision in the past, and we don't realize God wants to grow your saving faith. How many have had this experience? Think back to when you were born again. Think, think back when you exercised faith in Jesus. And think about how much you knew about Jesus. And think about how much you understood about His glory. And do you sometimes think, I don't even know if I knew enough to be saved, right? I mean, you look back and you're like, wow, has my knowledge of who he is grown. Wow, has my faith in him grown. Listen, once you believe in Jesus, that's great. Place your faith in him, but plan on him growing your faith. He's going to take you through storms. He might allow loved ones to die. He might allow trials in your life that are way beyond your capacity to handle because he wants to grow your faith. Saving faith should grow into stronger faith. That's what happened here with the... But Mary and Martha, and I assume Lazarus, who went through the experience, the point was, I want to grow your faith. You believe in me, but you don't... and begin to sense who I am. Number four, saving faith perseveres through times of testing, but sign faith falls away. 
saving faith perseveres through time of testing. Remember in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said, Hey, handouts are over because I got, I, I, I'm something better. I am the bread of life. Come, feed on me. And they're like, Woo, we're out of here. And he turns to his disciples and he says, Are you guys going to leave too? And what does Peter say? Man, we, where would we go? You have the words of life. We're in it not for the handouts, Jesus. We're in it for you. They persevered through times of testing. Number five, saving faith will eventually be persecuted. Saving faith will eventually be persecuted often fiercely by those with sign faith or no faith. Now, this we see all the way through. This just basically, as the signs become greater with Lazarus, what else? What also increases? The persecution, right? The persecution climaxing in killing Jesus. The killing of Jesus. Now, and it gets so bad that with Lazarus, kill Jesus who performed the sign, but what do they want to do to Lazarus? We want to kill him too. I mean, we just want to wipe out Christianity. And that's exactly what's going on right now. Listen, eventually, saving faith will be persecuted. And we've had low-level opposition. We've had low-level persecution. But our time's coming. And don't freak out, because saving faith will persevere in spite of persecution. Persecution's coming. Don't freak out. Fickle fans are going to be fleeing. Churches are going to empty. People who once you thought were believers are going to say, Oh, I don't know. I don't have anything to do with that. I need to keep my job. I need to keep my family. I need to keep my, my prestige. I need to keep my influence. I need to keep all these things. And these things are happening. Number six, saving faith can be faked by those with signed faith or no faith and even fool those with saving faith. Saving faith can be faked by those with signed faith or no faith and even fool those with saving faith. And who's the great example? Judas. Okay, Judas. John chapter 13. Right before the Lord's Supper, here's what happens. Listen to this. When Jesus said this, Jesus announces, One of you will betray me. Okay? And here's the response. When Jesus said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Now, here's the most radical response. Twelve men in that room. And here's what they all do. The disciples began looking at one another. Okay? And it says, at a loss to know which one he was speaking. Two profound principles there. First of all, even those with saving faith knew their sin was such, I could, I could, I could be the one. And in fact, so could you. Okay? But what I think is even more radical, we tend to think all 11 guys turned and looked at who? No. No. In fact, I would venture to say, I think he was the least suspected. Because that's just how much you can fake. That's how much you can fake it, and that's how much you can fool true believers. 
But what did I say earlier? Who is never fooled? Jesus never fooled. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. Number seven. Saving faith obeys by receiving Jesus Christ as the Son of God and rests in Him as the seal of God's salvation. Here's the point. Saving faith continues to obey and continues to rest in the gospel no matter what is going on. John 3.36 says this, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God obeys on him. And then here's the final point. Saving faith is both a point in time and an ongoing process. Saving faith is both a point in time and an ongoing process. And I gave you John 11, and I gave you a little bit of the grammar behind it so that you could see Jesus is calling us not to just believe on him once in the past, but to believing on him believe on him more and more and i and i i wrote down two principles on that listen if you shortchange the process faith is a process if you shortchange the process you may settle for sign faith rather than saving faith here's my point especially those of you that have kids we want to rush kids to a point of decision and we forget that faith is an ongoing process And if you rush them to a decision, they may have merely sign faith. They may not really know who Jesus is. They're just believing on Jesus because he's cool. Their Sunday school teachers say he's cool. You as parents say he's cool. And hey, I might even get to go up there and be baptized by Pastor Bruce. Okay, that's all sign faith. Okay, if you short circuit the process, we don't have to rush to a decision. These guys went through a pro- everyone's book went through a process. Are you with me? And this helps you in the witnessing because if you just see faith as a point in time, you know what happens? You rush people to that point in time and you don't let them go through this process. And you don't and you realize, you know what? I don't have to get everything in the first time I talk to you. All right? But if if you never decisively arrive at the point of salvation and never urgently appeal others to do so, you may never receive and they may never receive the security and satisfaction of saving faith. In other words, you can't just go in this ongoing process. At some point, you have to call people to faith in Christ. They need to cross the line. Are you with me? All right. Third. And this is kind of the, you already know this. John is showing us the glory of Jesus as the Son of God, so we will trust Him and treasure Him as our sovereign Savior at all times. Listen, it's kind of the point in the process. There needs to be a point in your life, so I'm asking you, do you have a point in your life trust But is it an ongoing process where you treasure Him because you know more of Him? And you want to treasure him in the tough times. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to abandon him just because the storm rages. Well, I hope you've seen more of him. I know I have. And I'm trusting him more. And I hope you are as well. Trust and treasure Jesus Christ and the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, your word is amazing. 
And as we study it, as we study it inductively, as we study it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we see things that we're not going to read in the newspapers. We're not going to learn from television. Uh, Our leaders aren't going to show us this in the political world. We see you in all your glory. I pray that each person has a point in time where they've trusted you. And I pray that each of us here is growing in treasuring Jesus, even in the tough times of treasuring he and his followers. Lord, I pray that if we've been fickle, that we'll be faithful. I pray that if we have no faith, we'll come to saving faith. Lord, I pray that we will truly believe in miracles, but trust in you as the Son of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 